our relationship with the Lord in many ways is like our relationships with people, those in our family that we love the most. It's very easy for us to begin taking those relationships for granted, to begin taking God for granted. And this morning we're going to look at a man who um, really went after God, had a heart for God, loved him and wanted to be as close to him as he possibly could because I believe that deep within us that's what we want even if we do sometimes take him for granted and we're occasionally reminded through events or experiences just how precious loved ones are and I pray God gives you some experiences today and in the days to come to help you remember just how precious Jesus really is. There's a preacher in Ireland named Derek Bingham, who has an interesting story about the experience God used to call him to ministry and to cause him to begin taking seriously his relationship with Christ. His mother was sick and dying, and during those days she said to him, she said, Derek, my boy, you have the gift of gab, but you don't know the word. If you'd learn the word, the Lord might be able to use you. He took her words to heart and began studying God's word and Within three weeks of her passing, he was preaching the gospel. Psalm 119 was written by a man who took seriously God's Word, who loved it, studied it, talked about it, fashioned his life after it. And he was a man whose devotion to the Lord and to God's truth meant that there were times when he stood out from the crowd. He was different, and therefore it wasn't always easy for him. The author of Psalm 119 was a man that at times was ridiculed, put down by others. Can any of you relate to that? You're in some setting, whether it's work or a family, a gathering, and you're living for Christ, and that difference, the difference just makes you stand out, and somebody makes a joke at your expense. They, they maybe say something that makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable. In fact, there was a moment when the author of Psalm 119's life was actually at risk. It was in danger. But in spite of all that, he was devoted to the Lord. He was devoted to the Word of God. And in God's Word, the author of this chapter found comfort, joy, strength, purpose, guidance, direction, a path for living. And I believe as he advanced through the years... God taught him a lot of things, and he sat down under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he wrote Psalm 119. So I invite you to open your Bibles there. This is a chapter that beautifully describes God's Word and the role it plays in our lives. There's a lot of repetition in this psalm, and that's part of the, the beauty of it as, as he's just driving his point home time and time again. And he talks over and over about not only the, the significance of God's Word, but the ways that God uses, the, the many different ways God uses His Word in our lives as believers to bless us, to help us. And so I'm starting a new series of messages today. We're calling Thy Word. Because Psalm 119 is famous for its focus on the Word of God. So we're going to look at Thy Word, at God's Word for the next several weeks. Psalm 119 is the longest, not only psalm, but it's the longest chapter in the Scriptures. 176 verses. 
Now, we're not going to study all 176. We'd be here all year. But we're going to look at a lot of them. There are eight words in particular, eight Hebrew words he uses time and again, dozens of times throughout this psalm, which describe the Word of God. They are synonyms for the Word of God. In addition to word, you have, you have the Hebrew words that in our English Bibles are translated as law or statutes, decrees, testimonies, and they're used repetitively. And we're going to look next Sunday at what each of those words mean and the, 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 the ways they help us understand what God's Word really is. Psalm 119's 176 verses is divided kind of like a hymn. Think of it as a very elaborate poem. When he wrote this, he wrote it in 22 stanzas. So it's, you know, the old Baptist way, if there's a hymn with four stanzas, you would stand and sing the first, second, and last verse, right? Well, this one has 22 stanzas. And uh, each of those stanzas is based on a letter in the Hebrew alphabet. There's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So each of these stanzas is based on one of those letters. Each stanza has eight verses. So eight times 22 is 176. Each of the eight verses have two lines. That pattern is consistent. And those Hebrew words are used in almost every one of those verses. Each of those stanzas begins with a Hebrew letter. So the first eight verses all begin with a word that start with the Hebrew letter Aleph, or for us, A, Verses 9 through 16, each word that starts one of those verses begins with the Hebrew letter that we would think of as B or Beth. And so it's organized that way, and there's a lot of repetition, but again, that is the strength of it. That's the beauty of it. They tell us in education, people learn how? By repetition. Repetition. You have to do something time and time again before you create a new habit. Habits are formed through repetition. Learning happens through repetition. And sometimes we get bored with repetition. It's one of the reasons we don't learn as well as we need to learn. One of the reasons we don't learn God's Word the way we need to is because we get bored and we want to go on to the next thing. And God is saying, hey, how about slowing down and park here for a while? And so for September, October, and November, except for a Sunday or two, I'm going to preach for these three months from Psalm 119. We're not going to rush through what God says about His Holy Word. We're going to focus on what He tells us in this chapter about the way He uses it in our lives to shape us and to help us be the kind of followers we need to be. I believe the kind of disciples that we want to be. But today, our focus is not on what Psalm 119 says about the Word of God as much as our focus is going to be on What does Psalm 119 tell us about this man? This man. This preacher, if you will. This man who wrote the longest chapter in Scripture, who who wrote more about the Word of God than any other author in Scripture, what was the driving force behind his life? What was it that made him tick? What kind of guy was he? That, that held the Word of God in such high esteem and was so influenced and so shaped by it that, that he patterned his life. What kind of guy was this? What motivated him? When I was on my study retreat back in February, that week I, I read Psalm 119 several times, every verse, over and over. And I had a, just a legal pad 
And I just started making notes and letting the Spirit speak to me. What, 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 what's the summation of all the teachings in this chapter? And, and I read through it a couple of times, just focusing not on what he said about things, what he said about God, but what did he tell us about himself? What kind of man was he? And two things stood out to me in Psalm 119 about this man, and we're going to study them basically in the first eight verses today. Psalm 119, verses 1 through 8. Two things stood out. First, this was a man who wanted, I mean genuinely wanted to know God intimately. This was a man who really wanted a close relationship with God. He had a heart for God, and he went after it. He didn't leave it to chance. He went after it. He had a heart for God. He wanted to know God. The second thing that stood out to me as I read that chapter about this man was not only did he want to know God, but he also wanted to pattern his life, pattern his lifestyle in keeping with the Word of God because he understood that the path to true happiness in life is patterning your life after the Word of God. Now, those two go hand in hand. When you have an intimate desire to know God, a passionate desire to know God well, then you want to live like Him. You want to live godly. And you're not going to live godly. You're not going to live like Him if you don't have much of a desire to know Him. When you get close to God, He rubs off on you and it changes how you live. They just go hand in glove. They go together. They go together. And so I want to look at these two attributes about this man because, let's just be honest, all of us, myself included, all of us struggle at times in our relationship with God. Anybody who says they, they don't struggle is not taking a really honest look at themselves. We all struggle at moments. But I do believe this as well. That if Jesus is in our heart, Jesus is in our life, we're really saved, we really do know him, deep in us there is a desire to be like this guy. That if, that if I've really been born again and he's really in my life, there's a part of me somewhere in here, and maybe for some of us it's buried way down there, but it's there if I know Christ. In my heart there is this desire to know him intimately to be close to Him, not just to be a church person, not just to be a religious person, not just to be a Christian person, but to know God, to know Jesus, to know Him intimately, to be close. I don't know how to be saved and not have that down in there somewhere, do you? It's there. It's in you if you know Christ. Maybe you've been pushing it down, but it's there. Maybe you've been ignoring it, but it's there. And, and I think all of us want to live, if we know Christ, we want to live godly. We, we want to live in a manner that brings honor to God, that pleases Him. We want to live in a way that makes our life better and happier. We, we don't want to create all the problems that our wrong choices often create for ourselves. We want to do better. And so I want us to look at this man who had those two desires and then over the weeks to come, we're going to learn how God used the Bible, used Scripture, used His Word to help Him fulfill those two heart desires. But let's begin very briefly today by just looking at those two desires. Would you stand with me in honor of God's Word as we read together the opening eight verses of Psalm 119 or the first stanza? The first stanza. I'm reading from the New American Standard Translation. 
He says, how blessed are those, how happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed, how happy are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. They also do no unrighteousness. They walk in his ways. And then he's speaking to God and he says, God, you have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently, diligently. Verse 5, oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. Then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments. I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I shall keep your statutes. Do not forsake me utterly. Father, take your word and by your spirit penetrate our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. And you can be seated. I think the ultimate goal of the author of Psalm 119 is summed up in that last phrase of verse 8. Do not forsake me utterly. For him, the worst thing that could happen in life is to have distance between him and God. For God to abandon him. We know from New Testament teaching that as Christians, as believers, God has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. God's never going to walk away from us if we are his child. That's his promise, that nothing can separate you from his love. But we also understand that you and I, as his children, we, we, can, we can do this to God. We, we, can, we can hurt the fellowship and the closeness between our, us and our Father. We can allow sin to, to accumulate in our lives and it kind of drives a wedge between us and God. It's not that God ever leaves us. It's just that we kind of stiff arm Him, sort of like a rebellious teenager or a young adult who's making wrong choices and hurting their parents. We can break our, our fellowship and become a wayward child. And the idea of staying close to God, I think, was the the driving force behind this man. That's what he wanted more than anything else. And so that idea is repeated numerous times in Psalm 119. So look at verse 2. He said, How blessed or happy are those who observe, keep, obey his testimonies, God's word, who seek him, how? With all their heart. Seek God with all their heart. Did I ever tell you about the first time I asked Monisa for a date? I was getting ready to lead a Christian dating seminar for the youth in our church in Kentucky. And so I called her and asked her to help. Went over to her house to go over the curriculum. Went over the curriculum on this Christian dating seminar, and then I asked her out. I thought that was pretty slick. She said, yes. I learned later she had been praying for me, asking God, to bring into my life the person he had for me. And then the P.S. on her prayer was, if it could be me, that's okay with me. <laughs> you remember when you're dating how we, we, we chase, right? We, we put our best foot forward. We, we think about them. We're intentional. We plan. We go after it. We chase. We're going, we seek. We're, we're going to, we're going to get her. We're going to get, we, we, we do our best. 
make time for the relationship, for the dating, make it a priority. We spend our money on it. We're intentional. And then we get married. Yeah. You know where this is going. We kind of settle in, have our routine, and gradually we don't, you know, we, we don't intentionally choose to do this, but gradually we just kind of slow down the pursuing because we caught her, we caught him. Stop putting our best foot forward. Stop being intentional about dating, about making time for each other, about making the relationship a priority, about growing, courting, all that stuff. And then we fall into a rut. He knows I love him. She knows I love him. And that rut gets deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. But the lack of intentionality leads to a marriage that becomes stale. And then couples say, oh, we don't love each other anymore. Fell out of love. What happened? Let's get a divorce. Find somebody else. When all that's needed is some intentional effort at pursuing love. Continuing to pursue your mate. Being intentional. Doing some things. And it's the same thing with God. I mean, I mean, when we get saved and you're all excited about the Lord and you have that spiritual moment and that spiritual high and then we settle into the routine. And I know life's about a routine. Listen, I'm 55 years old. I've been a Christian a long time. I've been a pastor a long time. I know about routine. But, folks, routine is not an excuse for lack of intentionality. In fact, the longer you are doing anything, the more intentional you have to be at doing it well. Because the very moment you think you've got it down, you start losing it. That's true in your skill set. It's true in your career. It's true in your marriage. It's true in your walk with God. You don't ever stop being intentional at chasing those things that are a priority in life. Those things that are the key to a quality existence. And so he said, this, this is a guy who on numerous occasions in Psalm 119 talked about seeking God with all his heart. He didn't want anything to get him off track. Look at verse 10 in the next stanza, in the Beth, the B letter stanza. Verse 10, the second verse in that stanza. He says, with all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Have you ever prayed a prayer like this? God, do whatever you have to do to keep me from ever going astray from you. I mean, do you want to walk with Jesus so closely that you give God permission to do whatever he has to in your life to humble you if you get off track and bring you back? How badly do you want to be close to God? How strongly are you seeking Him in your life? You see, we, we can do all the teaching about God's Word and Christian truth that we can possibly do. We, we can preach it and teach it till we're blue in the face, but if you don't have a heart for God, none of it matters. It won't do you any good. 
Because you won't do anything with it. If you're not willing to do what you have to to have a great marriage, you're not going to have a great marriage. If you're not willing to do what you have to to have a close walk with God, you're not going to have it. Are you seeking Him? Is that your heart cry? God, I'm coming after you. Oh God, I know you're not going to leave me, but God, don't ever let me leave you. Are you seeking Him? I mean, we, we understand that relationships are what make life beautiful. I wrote in my blog Friday about watching the movie Space Buddies with Liam one night this week. Space Buddies, these little pups, they've made several movies. They're always getting in trouble. And somehow they accidentally ended up on the space shuttle, went to the moon and back. Cute, silly little movie. We're sitting there and Liam's laying in my lap. And at one moment during the, for those who don't know, that's my my three-year-old grandson. And at one moment he just kind of reached out. And starts holding my hand. And I can remember thinking, man, this is life. It doesn't get any better than this. Life's about relationships. And ultimately it's about your relationship with God. Because like Solomon in Ecclesiastes says, you can chase all this and you can chase that. You can work yourself crazy for the other. But if you don't have God, it's empty. It's chasing the wind. Seeking God with all your heart. Stop taking Him for granted. The word translated seek in our English Bibles comes from a Hebrew word. The root word means to follow, to tread, to chase. That's what it means to seek God. You're intentional. You say, He's there. I'm going that way. I'm going that way. I'm intentional about it. That was the first thing that stood out to me about this man. That was the kind of heart he had. That's the kind of heart we need. Second thing, he wanted his life to be patterned according to God's Word because he understood that the pathway to happiness in life was obeying God. The pathway to happiness is being close to God, and there's no staying close to God without obeying God. Pattering your life after his word. Look at verse 1. He said, how blessed or happy are those whose way is blameless. Who walk in the law of the Lord. The law of the Lord, one of the synonyms for the scripture, for the word of God. Not just referring to the Ten Commandments or the Pentateuch. Referring to the entire revelation of God. Those who walk in it blamelessly. Blamelessly is the idea of with integrity, they're irreproachable. Their life is so patterned after the Word of God that nobody can look at them and say they're phony. Their life is so true to the Word of God, nobody can look at them and say, you're a hypocrite because you're the real deal. There's integrity in you when it comes to the Word of God and the principles that God's Word reveals for how we're to live. Look at verse 3. He said, they do no unrighteousness, nothing wrong. They walk in His way. See, when you're close to God, like I said a moment ago, God rubs off on you. Godliness is simply being like Him. It's letting Him rub off on you. And then in your lifestyle, you reflect Him. That's what righteousness is. 
Unrighteousness reflects Satan. Unrighteousness reflects sin. Unrighteousness reflects hell. Righteousness reflects Christ. And when we're close to Him, that's what we reflect. We pattern our life after what God says is right and wrong. Look at verse 4. He says, God, you have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently, or I believe the NIV translates it, fully obey them. Diligently or fully obey. This, this word has the idea of doing something with intensity and doing it quickly. Now think about that. God, I read your word, and I'm so devoted to you, and I'm so close to you, and I want to be like you, and I want to obey you, and I read your word. I, oh, God, it says this. Okay, God, yes, I'll do that. I'm going to do it with intensity, and God, I'm going to do it quickly. I'm not going to wait and wait and wait and wait and say, well, someday maybe... When all these things in my life change and things fall into place, then, God, I'll do what you say. No, this was the kind of guy who said, God, I'm I'm so in love with you and I want to be so close to you, God. When you reveal things to me, that's it. Oh, God, with intensity, I'm going to go after it. And, God, I'm going to do it quickly, fully, diligently. Too many times we, we put off doing what God's directing us to do in life till later. Do you know what that is? Disobedience. How many of you parents ever told your kids to do something and they kept putting it off and you said, now? Anybody? You didn't mean tomorrow, you meant now, right? Well, do you think God's wasting his breath when he tells you to do something? You think God's just blowing hot air? And so he says, God, I'm seeking you. I want to be close to you, be intimate with you. And God, I want to pattern my life after you, and I'm going to do it with passion and with enthusiasm. That doesn't mean it's always easy, but it means it's always a priority. Look at verse 5. He said, oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes established, committed, set, fixed. God, I want to be committed to obeying you. I don't want to be haphazard. I want to be consistent in it. And I love the way verse 5 begins with that two-letter word, O-O-H. Oh, it's like a deep longing. Oh, God, I want to be consistent in obedience. Oh, Lord, I want to be consistent in my devotion to you. Oh, Lord, I don't want to be haphazard up and down like a yo-yo. Oh, God, I want to be steady she goes. Look at verse 6. He said, when I do that, I will not be ashamed. When I look upon all your testimonies, all that God says. What happens when you give testimony in court? You're publicly declaring facts as you know them. Testimonies. God's testimony, God's word, God publicly declaring his truth which is the only truth. And so the psalmist says, God, when, when, I, when I seek you with all my heart and I pattern my lifestyle after your word, I don't have any reason to be ashamed. When I look upon your testimony, God, when your word confronts my life, I don't have any reason to be ashamed because, God, I'm, I'm intensely 
passionately and quickly doing what you speak to me about doing as I read your word. And if we have that kind of heart and we, and we have that approach to life, then the moments when we need to feel guilty and feel ashamed become less and less. I mean, how many of you, if I start preaching on a particular subject, and it will vary person to person, but how many of you, as soon as I start preaching on a particular subject, you start feeling kind of, you know, because you're not doing that, and God convicts, and you feel guilty. And you felt that way for a long time, but for whatever reason, you've been like that child that won't respond passionately and quickly, and you keep putting it off till tomorrow. You're not obeying. You're not doing it. You're disobedient. And so every time the preacher talks about that, you just kind of, ooh, sink down in your seat, and you start feeling guilty, and you just wait for that sermon to end or for that part of the sermon to get over. Anybody? Don't raise your hand. Don't embarrass you. But, hey, right? Now, let's just be honest. If I say, I'm going to stop right now what I'm doing and preach for the next 10 minutes on tithing, some of you are going to put earplugs in until I'm finished. Because you're guilty of not tithing. And you'll make all kinds of excuses, but you're guilty of not doing what God says. Plain and simple. If I start preaching about prayer, some of you are going to feel really bad because you, you struggle to have any kind of prayer life. Some of you are already feeling kind of bad because you know you don't ever read the Bible. But the only time you touch it is if you bring it to church and you're already feeling guilty this morning. Right? Well, the cure for guilt is obedience. Isn't that rocket science? Never having to be ashamed if we're obedient to what God says. That was the way this guy wanted to. To live. Look at verse 7. He said, I shall give thanks to you with, an, with, with uprightness, with integrity of heart, when I learn your righteous judgments. Now, that sets up what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. The key to all this, besides seeking God, wanting to be close to God, is you have to learn His Word. It's hard to do what God wants you to do if you don't know His Word. So we're going to work on learning God's Word and methods for learning God's Word. And by the way, you don't ever stop learning God's Word. Doesn't matter how old you are, how long you've been teaching, if you get to the point you think you know everything and you stop being a student, you stop trying to learn, you start going backwards spiritually. You may still have all this head knowledge, but it will start showing up in negative ways in your spirit, in your demeanor, in your heart, in your attitude, in your words. Spiritually, we're either going forward or we're going backward. We never stop learning. We never stop advancing. We never stop growing because the moment we do, we start going backward in some way. He knew that study was required. And we put a lot of effort into developing various skills. Brother David sitting over here. Our kids played sports together when they were young. And I, I can remember uh, Jacqueline. She plays the piano and violin and different things. And there were so many times the sound would emanate from her bedroom through the house. Now as the years passed, the sound became more pleasant. 
that piano was still in her old bedroom. Hours upon hours. Because if you're going to learn to do something, what do you do? You invest in developing the skill set, correct? Stephen liked sports. Baseball and basketball in particular. And I can remember when he was really young taking him outside and we'd work on dribbling with you. He's right-handed, so we worked on dribbling and shooting with the left hand because if you're going to be a good basketball player, you have to dribble and shoot with either hand. And we'd work on We had drills for that. And until he was a certain age, I would not let him shoot a three-point shot because all these little kids want to shoot that long three-point shot and they get out there and they're not strong enough, so they bring it up from down here. They've got to take it down to their knees, down to their hip to get it up. That three-point shot. And what happens then as they get bigger and start playing real basketball, they, they, they have a lousy shot form and they start shooting from down here or down here and they get it blocked all the time. And you can't be a good basketball player if you shoot from down here. You just won't make it. And so I knew that and I said, all right, the skill is you don't, you, you're not going to shoot long shots until you're physically able to do it. And the best attribute he had as a basketball player was he was a good shot from long range because he developed the right form. But that was practice, 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 drill after drill after drill. We all do that. How many of you have put hours in learning a new software? (laughs) Those of you my age and older, do you remember when VCRs first came out? They didn't make any sense. I mean, some, I mean, any of you ever get the grandkids to turn on the VC, even the VCR? But we, we work at it because we want to learn. Well, let me ask you, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What kind of effort are you making? How much time are you giving? Is it a priority? Do you want to know it? Do you want to learn it? Do you care? What are you doing with the Word of God? Oh, I can't. I I, I, I can't. Yes, you can. Satan is the one who's convinced you you can't. You can. But you see, we try and it's hard and we don't understand something, we get discouraged and we quit. Well, if we quit every time we struggled learning a new skill, I remember when I first started teaching Stephen to shoot with his left hand, it was awkward. But then it became natural through practice. And yeah, it might be awkward for you studying God's Word. You've never done it. You don't know how to do it. But you've got to start. And you've got to stay with it because God uses His Word to shape us. I don't know that I would have ever left Kentucky and moved to Sumter 30 years ago if it had not been for me reading what the writer of Hebrews said about Abraham going to a foreign country. But God used that to give me peace. And there is so much comfort, so much joy, so much strength, so much guidance, so much help, so much direction available to us if we will take what God has given us as a precious 
beautiful, incredible gift. And stop ignoring it. Turn off your TV for 30 minutes. Put away the iPad for 30 minutes. There's time if it matters because we make time for it. What does your life, what does your life look like? What does your spiritual life look like? What do you want it to look like? What kind of person, what kind of disciple do you want to be? In the weeks to come, we'll study Psalm 119 and learn what it tells us about becoming that. But today, here's the thing. Until we make a commitment for it to happen, it won't. It starts with a determination to say, God, that's what I need. God, that's what I want. And I'm going to ask you to do more than just leaving this room thinking, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I need. I'm going to ask you to seal it as a covenant with Almighty God. I'm going to ask you to make a commitment. God, today I commit to chasing you with all my heart. I'm going to ask you to make a commitment to get into God's Word and read it, even if it's as awkward as it could possibly be to you to start with, even if you understand very little of what you read to begin with. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to read Psalm 119 once a week for the next three months. Read Psalm 119 once a week for the next three months. Okay? That's pretty straightforward, pretty simple. Read Psalm 119. How often? Once, how often? Once a week. For how long? For the next three months. Second thing, I'm going to ask you to memorize one Bible verse a week. One Bible verse a week. That's all. One Bible verse a week. And this week, I want you to work on memorizing verse 11. Look at it. Psalm 119, verse 11. Your word, some of you already know this. Your word I have treasured, buried in my heart that I may not sin against you. That's your verse for this week, if you don't know it already. Verse 11, in whatever translation you study from. So read Psalm 119, memorize verse 11. Next Sunday, we're going to do a test. Have you stand and quote it as a group, okay? Verse 11 won't be the same because different translations. That's okay. God can hear it all. But I know many of you will do this. And I'm going to encourage you to come and get on your knees here at the altar and say, God, this is my commitment. I'm going to encourage you when we sing to come and kneel and pray or to stand and raise your hand and say, God, I'm making this commitment to you right now. Lift it to the Lord. I don't want you to leave here just thinking about it. I want you to seal it with God as an absolute commitment you're making to make the effort to seek Him, to do something, not just... I mean, folks, we as Baptists, we're really good about thinking about stuff. It's time to stop thinking and start doing. 